Exodus 3 and 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And I want you to notice these specific names, not that I would pronounce them correctly, but I just want you to get a hold of them. We will mention them again later. Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Skipping down to verses 16 and 17. Go and gather the elders. Everybody say the elders. The elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to preach to you this evening on the subject, the promised land, the promised land. And I will show you in the scriptures why it is so important for us to take note of what happened to the children of Israel. And I will show you in the scriptures where the Lord says, this is for us. And uh, I feel like the Lord has given me specific direction, but I, I need, I, I don't need a bunch of hurrahs. If you want to say amen, that's fine. But what I need more than anything is your undivided, heartfelt attention. Would you pray together with me? The Lord would anoint me and help me as I preach. Lord God, I thank you for the beautiful outpouring of your spirit we feel in this place tonight. I thank you for every faithful saint of God that has prayed heaven down here tonight. I thank you for the heartfelt worship of your people that have created such a special atmosphere in this place tonight. I'm asking you, God, to anoint me and help me to give a clear sense of direction concerning your will for this church in the coming year. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. The promised land. There are three parts to the promise. There is, first of all, the person behind the promise. Who made the promise? There is the substance of the promise. What did they promise us? And then last, there is the possession of the promise. That makes sense to you? 
you need to consider who made the promise, what is the promise, and how do I get the promise. I want to not only know what the promise is, I want to not only know who gave the promise, but I want to possess the promise. How many of you feel like you have some promises from God that you'd like to really get a hold of? I know it individually we feel that way, corporately we feel that way, some specific things that God has promised that we would really like to possess and get a hold of. In the situation that we're reading about tonight, it's obvious that God is behind the promise. This is the great I am, the self-sufficient one. He doesn't have to seek outside sources for help, but he has everything within his possession to deliver the goods that he has promised. It's so important. Sometimes people promise things beyond their abilities. They may mean well. They may have good intentions, but they may not have the means to really produce what they say they will produce. But I'm here to tell you concerning this promise, God has everything that he needs. That's why he told Moses, it's the I am. It's the self-sufficient one. I don't have to look here and I don't have to look there. I've got everything I need to make this thing happen. That's the one behind the promise. The substance of the promise is the fact that he is going to bring them out of Egypt and lead them unto the promised land that flows with milk and honey. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's some 14 times that God reiterates that promise to them. I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. A few days rock on. And again, God reminds them, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and with honey. It kind of reminds me of the history of this church. Just every once in a while, God sends a preacher along and reminds us, thus saith the Lord. I've got a great apostolic revival for this church. I've got some things that are going to blow your mind. God reminds us again and again and again. The promise, the promise, the possession of the promise is going to hinge on the ability of the people to keep the faith and march into the promised land. And that is not necessarily an easy task. It will involve a number of trials and tests They will need to be reminded again and again of both the promise and the one behind the promise. God said, God said. I'm not talking about what the mayor said. I'm not talking about what the governor said. I'm not talking about what the president said. I'm talking about what God said. God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm going to give you the promised land. God said, it flows with milk and honey. And God said, it's also the land of the Hivites, the Parasites. Parasites? Probably so. The Jebusites. God said, 
I know all that stuff is there, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow in Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God never fails his promises. It took a series of miracles to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. Most of you are familiar with the ten plagues. I will not go into them tonight. It was only after the last plague, when the firstborn of every family in Egypt was slain, that the children of Israel would leave Egypt. The day that they are finally leaving Egypt, God speaks this unto his people. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 3. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came you out in the month of Abid, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land. And again, he names all these folks that live there. The land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. That's the day that they finally came out of Egypt. And God said again, I'm not just getting you out of Egypt, but I'm going to take you to a promised land that flows with milk and with honey. Fast forward through a few events. They miraculously crossed the Red Sea. They watched the waters part. They followed the instructions of their leader and they marched through the middle of a sea on dry ground and make it to the other side. They turned and looked back and watched their enemy pursuing after them. And before their enemy could reach the side where they were, and before their enemy could get back to the safety of the land on the other side, that same sea closed back and permanently entombed their enemies. They saw that. They saw water come out of a rock when they had nothing to drink. They had manna rain down from heaven to feed them when they had nothing to eat. It was not an easy journey. It was a long, difficult journey, but it was a journey full of miracles and the miraculous providence of God to provide for his people everything they needed to get from Egypt to the promised land. Sometimes we fail to realize that the God that gave us the promise is also going to miraculously sustain us if we're willing to walk in faith and march through and possess that promised land. Come on, I'm telling you, he can rain manna down from heaven. He can give you water out of the rock when there's nobody to quench your thirst. There's nothing there. There's no choir to sing behind you. There's no church body around you. God can speak to a rock and refresh your soul in the middle of the night. That's God. Now it's time to enter the promised land.
Numbers chapter 13 tells a story, and I want to read just a few of the verses. The 12 spies are sent out for 40 days. One spy from each tribe. And they're going to check and see what all's there. What all's there as far as the good stuff and what all's there as far as the bad stuff. And so let me read from Numbers 13 and verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron. And this is the 12 spies. And to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them unto, and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They brought back evidence with them, mind-boggling evidence. Fruit like they had never seen before. Fruit like you hang it on a pole and it takes two men to carry it along. That's the kind of fruit that they brought back. And they told him and said, in verse 27, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. What was portrayed as something negative should have been portrayed as something positive. They should have been saying, folks, let me tell you something. It was just like God said. The Amorites are there. The Hivites are there. The Jebusites are there. You remember what God said over and over and over again when he gave us that promise of a land flowing with milk and honey? He told us who was going to be there before we got there, and now we have seen it with our own eyes. But instead, 10 out of the 12 turned things around, and God did not call it a negative report, but everybody say an evil report. Verse 31, or verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched, and the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in their own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I don't know. I didn't do the math. You might could do it real quickly. But if an average human being was 5'8", and compared to these giants, they were like grasshoppers. That means, I don't know, if you're 5'8", a grasshopper stands up a quarter to a half inch. 
Somebody want to do the math? Come on, 68 inches, 68 times four. That's how many times bigger those giants were than them. An obvious exaggeration. Let me tell you something about leadership. If you have to exaggerate to get your point done, you're not the leader you need to be. I don't care if it's for good or for bad. Don't exaggerate to make a point. When you're in an argument with somebody, don't exaggerate to make a point. Put the facts out like they are. Tell it like it is, but don't exaggerate. The fact of the matter is everything was just like God said it was. And God had said, I'm going to give you that land. You're going to conquer that land. I am going to drive the enemy out before you. I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. That's the promises of God. Fast forward in time. We're in the New Testament. And God just wants us to know that the things that happened to the children of Israel from the journey out of Egypt to going to the promised land was not just for them, but it was clearly laid out in detail so you and I could learn from it in obtaining the promises that God has given us. So I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, And verse 1, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat all, all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. That's why Moses was called upon to strike the rock the first time and water came out. But the second time he was told to speak to the rock because that rock was Christ and Jesus Christ was only going to be crucified one time. It kept him out of the promised land. God's serious about his promises and how he goes about fulfilling his promises and providing for the people of God. And so what happened back then is typology of what is happening to us here today and trying to lay hold on the promises of God. Verse 5, but with many of them God was now well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, our examples, our examples. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's talking about us. They were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And then get a hold of this in verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And that is the position of the church. 
before the end time, before the rapture of the church, before the end of this great dispensation, all responsibility rests on the shoulders of the church to get the gospel out, to preach the gospel, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is where we are as a church. We have been given a promise of revival and miraculous growth. I'm talking about this particular assembly, God, a number of times by men of God that we have utmost confidence in have spoken under the anointing of God concerning what God wants to give this church and do through this church. God has stated his intentions for this church to not only have local expertise in our city, but to have a global footprint. I want to first of all remind you of who stands behind the promise. It's the all-sufficient one, the great I am that possesses everything that we need to have that kind of revival. He doesn't have to search here. He doesn't have to search there. He doesn't have to beg anybody. He doesn't have to plead with anybody. God has everything we need for apostolic revival. He's a self-sufficient one. Next, I want to remind you how we got here, how we got to this point where we are here tonight, pastor preaching about a vision for the coming year of what God would like to do through this church. First of all, let me just say, it's a miracle for me to be here. I mean, when you've already stated your intentions, you already have tickets in your possession, plane ticket, for Stockton, California, and that's where you're going. And God arrests you because that's not what his will is for your life and puts my life on hold until I can find his will. It's what led me to Gateway College of Evangelism in St. Louis where I met my wife and ultimately it brought me here and it's why I'm the pastor of this church. I didn't have any plans of going south. I had plans to go west. I was already going. The church already had a going away party for me. I had a new set of luggage in my possession. That's what I'm going to do. But God said, no, that's not what you're going to do. That's not what my will is for your life. And I I just want to say I am thankful that God is that way. And sometimes when people get under conviction, they think that's the judgment of God. That's not the judgment of God. That's the mercy of God that he loves you enough that he wouldn't let you go astray. I'm going to call a few names out. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I just need everybody to understand where we are. How did we get here? It's, it's what's so terrible about the children of Israel not going in and possessing them. How did they get there? Well, let's see. We crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. We looked back and saw the waters closed back over them. We danced and shouted when we got on the other side. I mean, we got water out of a rock and we got manna down from heaven. That's how we got here. You go through all that to get here and then you're worried about giants? Come on, give me a break. Some of you would be critical of them 
and I am, but look where we are. Let me just explain some things to you. First of all, I mentioned to you the miracle of me being here personally. I think Brother Lynn back there in the back. Brother, I remember when you first walked into this church, brokenhearted, a marriage that failed, a wife that had left you, and uh, you had a couple daughters, and if I'm not mistaken, one of them's name was Lisa. And brother, you were not only dealing with a broken home, you were dealing with a very rebellious daughter. She was giving him fits. He didn't know what to do. When you don't know what to do, you know what you do? You give it to God. You go to prayer. You start talking to God. You do everything that you can. And when you've done all that you can, you just give it to God and start praying and seeking God. And and let me just tell you how we got here. It took a miracle for us to get here. I'm talking about his daughter that's Sister Slash. She's the one you can count on to do anything. We tease her all the time, call her Sister Slash because she's willing to do anything. But she is our Sunday school superintendent. Could we clap our hands to the Lord for that miracle? I sure don't mean to embarrass you. You know it's coming. She feels it. Sister Leslie, wave your hand over there. Brother and Sister Usher, when you've done all that you can, you turn it over to the Lord. I've only done this one time in 38 plus years of pastoring this church. But I met with our youth group and gave them specific instructions and said, I do not want you to fellowship with Leslie Ushery. Don't go out to eat with her. Don't invite her to your home. Oh, I had some parents that were upset at me. Pastor is so mean. Let me just explain something to you so you understand biblical perspective and all this. It's very biblical what I asked them to do. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that about people in the world. Or Paul said, you'd have to just go out of the world. God hasn't raptured us yet, so we're going to live and deal with people that are in the world. We're going to take them out to eat. We're going to witness to them. We're going to talk to them. But he said, if it's a brother or a sister that's doing that, don't even eat with them so they can see the error of their ways. That's, that's just, that's Bible. That's how the Bible lays it out, you know. I just want you to understand how we got here, the miracle of this all. I'm talking about our ladies' auxiliary leader. That's, that's who I'm talking about. Come on. God is a miracle-working God. Brother Henry, I don't know if you understand what select company you are in, but do you know... How many men over 80 years of age come to know the Lord and the power of the Holy Ghost being baptized in his name? I could probably count on one hand the number of men in my lifetime over 80 years of age that's been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost. You're walking in select company. You're a miracle brother here tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. That's how we got here. 
We didn't get here because we were so smart. We didn't get here because we were so perfect. We got here through the miraculous grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Jason Riggs, when you walked in here, God already knew that Jody and Jerison were going to come into this world as well as the children that y'all are the biological parents of. When I think about it, and I, I'm a little partial to Jody and Jerison, they can ask me for about anything. And I say, yes. I just can't tell those boys, no, they're special to me. But I want to tell you one thing that makes them so special to me. It's the miracle of God in their life. I mean, I just think about what their life would be like if Jason hadn't come to know the Lord. Brother Joe, I see you back there, how faithful you are, you and Sister Kelly. But I just think about what your life would be like if Jason hadn't come to know the Lord. And so when he walked down here, knelt down and, and took that necklace off, he, whatever it was he had on, laid it down, seeking after God. That, that famous message Brother Brandon Burns preached, and we won't elaborate on that. You just have to, you can ask me. I'll give you the inside scoop on that sometime. But when you're hungry for God, God says, I've got a miracle for you. I've got a miracle for you. That's our outreach director that's here because of the miraculous power of God. Amen. Jimmy Don, I don't know if you remember what you and Melody looked like when you all came to the Lord here. They were a sight to behold. They were skin and bones. Drug habits had robbed them of everything positive they could have in life. And I'm just telling you, it's a miracle they're here. It's a miracle what God has done. And it's a miracle what their children have turned out to be. I am very thankful for their kids. That's where we got our youth pastor. Come on. Do you know how we got here? We didn't get here because we were so smart or so perfect. We got here because of the miraculous mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this, last but not least. That, that fellow that presented that 21 days of prayer and fasting a while ago, any of you know him? I don't want to embarrass him by no means. I have such love and respect for him. But uh, when you were dating Rebecca, I had some people come to me, and they were not gossiping. They were doing what they felt like was their duty to do. Brother Melton, I don't know if you really know who this guy is 
that your daughter is dating? No, I really don't. Well, for your information, he's kind of been in and out a couple times and has a little baggage attached to his life. He's had a few drug issues in the past. That's who your daughter's dating. You know what's really amazing is when they got through, I still didn't know who that young man was that my daughter was dating. Never in my wildest dreams did I realize that's the young man that was going to transform this church through the power of prayer. I never realized that's the young man that's going to bring an apostolic revival to New Life Christian Academy. Do you know how we got here? We got here through the miraculous grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet if you would as we close. Greg and Rachel are here tonight. They are not here because they chose to be here, but they are here because God called them to be here. Ten years into starting a church in Fayetteville, things had really turned around for them. They were having revival. The church was growing. How many were y'all running, Brother Greg? 60, 70? 75. When you start from scratch, when I say scratch, I mean scratch. And you're going out and you're not trying to get folks from other churches. But they're doing everything that they can. From when a man loses his wife and he's about to lose his kids. How long did you have them boys living in your home? Six months? You ever take two little kids in your home for six months? quite a sacrifice but that young man's living for God now and I got to meet his new wife the other day and the kids they, in fact they were at our home and they were going to camp meeting is what it was and they spent the night there Greg and Rachel and came over and we fellowshiped but God individually spoke to each one of them the other not knowing that they had heard from God the same way said You're supposed to go back. There's some things I will be presenting to our staff Tuesday night that the vast majority of it came through the guidance of Brother Greg. My wife got on to me the other day and said, you don't have Rachel doing anything, and she's so dedicated, so consecrated. Nothing like mama taking up for her kids, is it? I said, Rachel's just a little different. She's my prophetess. And I believe God gives her a word for this church. And apparently she gives us a word for our family about every day. We've got a family text. There's hardly a day goes by that our family doesn't hear from that prophetess of the Lord. They are here. Not by accident, but by design. Just as I believe all of us are here by design and not accident. We're not going to haphazardly walk into the promised land. 
but we're going to be very intentional in what we do. But I want to declare to this church, this is the year of harvest. This is the year of revival. This is the year that we inherit the promised land. It doesn't mean there will be no opposition. There may and probably will be giants to fight. But we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I implore to each and every one of you how important it's going to be this coming year like never before that there is a spirit of cooperation in this church. There's going to be a lot of departments represented. Not all of them are going to be led exactly the way you would if you were leading that department. But I tell you what, you can sow some seeds. If you'll submit and cooperate with those leaders, when it comes your time to head up something, you can expect some cooperation because you've sowed seeds of cooperation. But I believe God wants us to walk in to that promised land.